I really hate to do this at this time, but could I ask somebody to get me a glass of water? Um, I'm going to need that today. Thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. A few weeks ago, we <clears throat> finished chapter two and then had a couple of weeks of interruption. And this morning, we pick up in chapter three where the Apostle Paul is dealing with the same theme the theme of the centrality of Jesus Christ, who he is, and him crucified. But in chapter three, Paul is kind of beginning a new section. Thanks, Jamie. He's beginning a new section, still dealing with that theme, but he is going to apply it to Christian leadership because the church at Corinth was very, very worldly in their thinking when it came to evaluating and assessing the leaders in the church Some were saying, I'm of Paul. Some were saying, I'm of Apollos. Some were saying, I'm of Cephas. And Paul is exhorting them that they should rather be saying, we follow Christ. But they have been infected by their culture. And so they are evaluating human leadership on merely human terms. And so in chapter 3, he begins to lay out a biblical view of Christian ministers, of Christian leadership. And that will take us all the way through the end of chapter 4. The opening four verses set the tone for everything that follows. As Paul has some pretty stark words to them, telling them that he could not write to them as people who have the Spirit of God, which is a shocking thing, because... He calls them brothers. He calls them infants in Christ. But he's saying the way you're behaving, it's merely human. So keep that in mind as we read these four verses. And I preached this morning on really a question, merely human. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For a while, and here's the evidence, for a while there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Are you not being merely human? I have a perpetual throat condition. And so I am constantly consuming Hall's lozenges. And it was interesting, halfway through preparing this sermon, I happened to notice a bag of Hall's on my desk And it had this warning on the back, choking warning, not for children under four. 
And what struck me is the Apostle Paul writes to these believers, professing believers of the church of Corinth. And he says, when I was with you, I could only feed you with milk, not with meat. And yet now I'm not able. And by the way, it's been four years. Four years later. And he still can't feed them with milk, with meat, because they're choking on it. He can only give them milk. And I'll explain that more in a moment. Apostle Paul is rebuking this church. He loves them enough to rebuke them about their immaturity. I smiled last week when Harsha began a sermon and began to talk about maturity. Because I thought that's exactly what I'm preaching on this morning. is spiritual maturity. So we've been well prepared for this. But disappointingly and inexcusably, the Corinthians were behaving immaturely like infants in Christ. Rather than feeding themselves on Jesus Christ and his gospel, they were choking on their feeding frenzy of their favorite preachers and leaders. They were behaving immaturely. There was factions in the church and the church is being fractured in many ways, and the one that Paul is addressing here primarily is over their favorite leaders. Rather than being obsessed with the content of the message of the cross, the gospel, they were obsessed with those who communicated this message. The Corinthian church was guilty of attitudes and actions that were merely human. The world is just obsessed with Heroes. It's obsessed with celebrities. And that's understanding for those who do not have the Spirit of God. It is not understanding for those who do. Because we have a completely different value system. And we are not hero worshipers. We have one hero we worship, the Lord God. But Paul is concerned that this church is not living up to its potential. That they're living merely human lives. And the result of that is the church is not maturing. There's still infants in Christ four years later. By the way, this is the only church in the New Testament that Paul speaks to in this way. And I'll show you why I think that is towards the end of the sermon. I want to deal this morning with this matter of the question merely human and asking ourselves to Assess our own lives as Christians. Are we displaying a life that is far more than human? Are we just displaying a life that is one that is filled with the Spirit? And I want to do that under three headings. And the first one is this. A disappointing contrast. A disappointing contrast. Paul's opening words are rather jarring. But I, brothers, it's a phrase of contrast. If you notice in verse 16 of chapter 2, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I belabored this point some weeks ago that when Paul uses the plural in chapter 2 of us and we, he's speaking of himself and his fellow apostles. And so Paul is saying that, that we, that is me and the other apostles, we have the mind of Christ and this revelation from God through his spirit we are passing on to you. We have this mind of Christ, but then he has his words of contrast immediately in chapter 3 and verse 1. 
But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. I cannot address you as those who have the mindset of Christ. And notice, by the way, here that he does call them brothers. And he says, and he refers to them as infants in Christ. So it's a judgment of charity. He's assuming here that they are Christians. But they're not living like it. I cannot address you as spiritual people and keep in mind. By the way, there's a, a man uh, who has written a lot of really bad books in the last several years. And his name is Rob Bell. I don't mention a lot of names from the pulpit, but you need to know that name and stay away from it. And he's just come out with a recent book, and it's called Everything is Spiritual. And I wanted to send him my messages. Because everything is not spiritual. When Paul speaks about spiritual, he means those who are of the Spirit of God. And Paul says, I can address you as those who have the Spirit of God, but rather as people of the flesh. He's going to use two Greek words here for flesh in this passage. And the first one refers to that which is, refers to the human body, that which is kind of bound by one dimension. He spoke about it in that chapter too, that those who are believers have the Spirit of God, and therefore they no longer live one-dimensionally. They don't just live by their senses. They live two-dimensionally. They live in the spirit world. They can see things. Paul says, unfortunately, you're not living like that. You're living like one-dimensional people as infants in Christ. Is it not true that those who are immature, you think of infants, think of babies, they live one dimension, right? Their one dimension, by the way, is all about themselves. And I really laughed several times at Harsh's description of babies. It's the first time we heard the word poop from this pulpit. <laughs> babies live in one dimension, and it's all about them. Paul says, it's very disappointing that I have to make this contrast between myself and you, that I can't address you as those who are spiritual people. Again, they are spiritual people. He's assuming they have the Spirit, but he's saying, I can't talk to you like that because you're behaving like those who are dominated by one dimension, the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul is rebuking them in love. I'm going to pause and make a really important point here that I actually have at the end of the sermon, but I want to bring it in now. 1 Corinthians is the largest, longest epistle in the New Testament. And it deals with a church that had a lot of problems. A church that was very enculturated with the evil culture around them. Paul will write 16 chapters of them, and then he will write another 13 chapters in his second letter because they're still having problems. We know from the content of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he wrote two other letters to them as well. They weren't inspired, but they were written to them. Forty years later, a man by the name of Clement 
will write to them, rebuking them, by the way, for the same problem. And what strikes me is that God did not give up on this church. More chapters in the New Testament written to this church than the other church. It wasn't as though God said, you know what, you're immature, I'm done with you. He kept confronting them through the apostle and later on through Clement. And there's a lesson for us here because if you're a member of this church long enough, you will be disappointed. We were talking in an elders meeting about uh, someone who, when they joined the church, this was heaven on earth. And one of the elders said to him, I'm glad you feel that way, but you're not always going to feel that way. The reality is, when you're part of a church long enough, you realize everyone's not as mature as you. Terrible. Everyone doesn't have it all together like you. They haven't developed as quickly as you. And I'm only being partially facetious. Reality is, Paul persevered with his church because God loved his church. Even though they had their problems, he perseveres with them. And he keeps writing to them. And he keeps loving them. And that's what Christians do. When somebody reaches a point where they're clearly, clearly demonstrated they don't have the Spirit of God, that's a different story. But Paul is saying, right now, what I can see is, you're the real deal, but you're not acting like it. He says you're acting like infants in Christ. And to just jump ahead, the, the, the particular problem he has here with them is that they are saying, I follow Paul and I follow Paulus. They're not focusing on Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that problem still persists today. I was reading some things on the Internet this week. It disturbed me. And some things that are happening that line up perfectly with 1 Corinthians 3 in another part of the world. Really good men who are faithful with the gospel. People are idolizing them and they're causing sex They're causing division and strife because of that. And I said to my wife, I've seen this movie before. And I know how it ends. Jill and I grew up in a particular, thank God for a gospel preaching church. It was a wonderful church. But there was a part of a movement, the fundamentalist movement. And there was a leader of that movement that my parents were actually converted under his ministry. I think actually my mom was carrying me. My grandfather and uncles have been deacons in that church, long-standing deacons. It was the largest church in America. It had 10,000 people on a Sunday morning. Massive, just outside of Chicago. And years later, when I was in Australia and we were serving there before we came here, there was a scandal that broke out. There was something that happened in that church with that leader. And there began to be this division in these churches over who was supporting him, who was not. And I received a letter from him one day and he said, Doug, you know, our families go way back and we appreciate you. He said, I just need to know when people criticize me, are you 100% behind me? Do you defend me? And I wasn't trying to be 
cute, but I wrote and said, first of all, that's not an issue here because people don't know you here. Secondly, I don't know if you're innocent or not. So how can I say I'm 100% behind you? When we went back to the state sometime later, there was a young lady who was going to a college run by this man and under the church. She came to church and she had this big button that said 100% behind in the guy's name. Well, I watched that thing fall apart. I watched fundamentalism fall apart. And the point I'm making is, this isn't just an ancient problem. It exists today, and it exists today in reform circles. It exists today in conservative circles. Where people are losing sight of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and they're focusing primarily on the messengers. And that's a danger. Thank God for the messengers of the cross. But it's not about the messenger. It's about the master. It's about Jesus Christ. And whenever believers begin to obsess over human personalities, particularly when they're causing strife about that, they're not behaving maturely. They're behaving as infants in Christ. I care not how much doctrine they know. Maturity is measured by the depth of our affection for and our appreciation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me show you that in the second point, a debilitating condition. I fed you with milk, not solid food. Now again, that's past tense. So when I was with you four years ago, I fed you with milk and solid food for you were not ready for it. And even now, four years later, you're still choking. You're not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. And now he uses a different word for flesh, a word that is used usually in the New Testament to speak of what we call the sin nature, fallen man in rebellion against God. So Paul says, when I was with you, I fed you with milk. That might be understandable because you were newborns, but four years later, you're still not ready for it. You still can't deal with it. You're not ready because you're still of the flesh. Now, what does it mean? In fact, when I came to Brackenhurst, we used material called milk, bread, meat, fish. Right? Remember that? It was good discipleship material. And the point was, you begin to grow with milk, and then you move on to meat, and then you move on to uh, or, or bread, and then you move on to meat, and then you move on to go fishing. What does Paul mean when he says, I fed you with milk and not with meat? There's a common misunderstanding here. Some people say, well, milk refers simply to the gospel. That Paul is saying, when I was with you, excuse me, when I was with you, I simply preached the gospel. And I wasn't able to go beyond the gospel with you. And still after four years, all I can do is preach the gospel to you. I cannot go any deeper. I think that's not what he's saying. Because when Paul said in chapter 2, in the first part of it, he said, when I came to you, I made a determination that I was going to preach one thing, one thing only. That is what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And we saw in our studies there that there is nothing deeper, there is nothing more meaty than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was praying this morning for the church and in Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to Paul's prayer here. I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the workings of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul is saying, I am praying that you'll appreciate the gospel. The milk and meat are not actually two different diets. It has to do more with receptivity of the people. That, yeah, they they know that Christ died for them, and they know he lived a perfect life for them, and they know he rose from the dead for them, and they know that he's on the right hand of the Father, and they thank God for that. But they're not digesting that. They're not taking that in in all of its depth. They're not taking that in in all of their affection and all of their appreciation and all of their devotion. And so like milk and a baby, it just kind of, the gospel kind of just runs through them. Excuse the picture. In a sense, milk is pre-digested food, right? And so he says you could handle the pre-digested food, but you're not doing anything with it. You're not going deeper into the gospel. Tim Keller said years ago something in a book I read. He said, people make the mistake of thinking that the gospel is the ABCs of the Christian life, but it's not. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. He's an American. He said A to Z, but you get the point. You're never going to go any deeper than the gospel. Paul wasn't saying, I want to give you another diet. He said, what I want you to do is understand the meatiness of the gospel. But I couldn't do that. You can't go deep in understanding the gospel because you're so consumed in a fleshly way, if I can put it this way, in a fleshly way with the flesh, the externals. Apollos, he's eloquent. Cephas, he's bold. Paul, he's, he's, he's intelligent. They're impressed with all these things rather than being impressed with the gospel. Condition that lasted four years later, they were still in the same condition. And by the way, I need to just point this out. There was a a movement that began in the 60s and 70s, theological movement that said that there's three kinds of people. There are those who are natural men, they're not saved. There are those who are spiritual people, as Paul says here in chapter 2. That is, they're Christians. But there's a third category of people. They're the carnal Christian. And they get this from the word flesh. Which could be translated carnally. And so there's unbelievers. There's Christians who understand the Lordship of Christ and they're spiritual. And then there's carnal Christians They live continually like unbelievers, but they pray to prayer so they're saved. And that's a bit simplistic, but that pretty much sums it up. Paul's not suggesting here 
that somebody can truly have the spirit of God and be dominated by the flesh. He's not suggesting that at all. What he's saying is in this area where there's strife and jealousy, where your thinking is skewed about the messengers, you're behaving like an unbeliever. You're acting merely human. If you have prayed a prayer, if you've joined a church, if you've been baptized, but your life is dominated by the flesh, then I warn you, repent and believe on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because when He saves you, He gives you His Spirit and He makes a difference in your life. There may be areas where we behave merely human, and we all do, right? We all have times where our thinking is skewed by the culture. And some of our behavior looks like the world because it is worldly. But if your whole life is fighting against and rejecting and denying the grace of God and the gospel, then I care not how long you've been a member of church. You're not a Christian. And if you hear this, thank God you're hearing this. Repent and believe on Christ. Paul says, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. Paul, again, hasn't given up on them. Paul has come alongside once again to write to them. He says, I think there's the real deal there. And I simply want the real deal to understand it and to live like it. Let's go to the third point where Paul speaks about what perhaps we might call a deforming culture. And follow me. He says in the second part of verse 3, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only? And this really struck me in a human way. For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? It really struck me. That when God saved me a long time ago, and he put his spirit within me, from that day on, I was no longer merely human. I'm not a superhero, but I am supernatural. As are you, if you've been born again by the spirit of God. You're not a natural person. Your loyalties have changed. Your loves have changed. And Harsha spoke about the metric, and I loved it, of, of our time and our things, our material things, and our affections. It really spoke to me. So many times, as Christians, we live in a merely human way. Shame on us. We see things so differently 
Or we should see things so differently than the unbelieving world. We are no longer merely human. We now have the Spirit of God, and therefore we see not just one dimension, but we see in two dimensions. They were behaving like their culture. The Corinthian culture put a lot of premium on rhetoric. They put a lot of premium on externals rather than on internals. They put a lot of rhetoric on that which was flashy, that which was popular. And what Paul is saying here and what he's going to develop in the rest of this passage in chapter 4 is stop thinking that way. Your culture has made you worldly. You see, I was discussing this actually with Harshit last week. That it really struck me, it struck me in 1 Corinthians, that Paul says things to the Corinthians that he never says in any other church. For instance, we're coming to the end of our study in 1 Thessalonians. When you read that, that letter, it's like one commendation after another, right? I mean, you read that and you think, that's the church I want to be a part of. Well, Thessalonica was one culture. Corinth was another culture. And by the way, remember when Demas forsook Paul? Where does he go? He goes to Thessalonica. Because Thessalonica was kind of like the, the Monaco of our day. And so they would have had their challenges with materialism. But when Paul writes to the Corinthians, and why I think he writes two long letters, and as Clement will address 40 years later, they have the same problem because they're living in a culture with its unique sin, sinful tendencies and temptations that keeps kind of entering into the church. Now, Paul is going to address them here again in, in, in the rest of the, the passage, saying, stop this nonsense of comparing us amongst, amongst one another. Forty years later, do you know how bad the problem was in, court, in the church? It was so bad, 40 years later, the reason Clement writes to this church is because the congregation had become so divided over leaders, they expelled all the elders. That's a pretty serious problem. And when you consider this, you realize that Paul's taking all this time because, and uniquely with the Corinthians, because that was... A sinful characteristic of that culture. Now, here's the point. Every church exists in a culture within the world. And that means that every church is going to face some kind of unique temptations by their culture. Let me pick on the American culture. Jill's homeland. One of the sinful tendencies of Americans is arrogance and a, and a haughty independence. And I lived in America long enough, and I read still what's happening in America to see that that whole tendency is a temptation to Christians in a unique way. You know, you look at the, the whole COVID strife 
We didn't have that here in South Africa, except for those who imported it from America. But churches were fighting in America over this because, because why? Because we're independent. Americans are also loud. Every time Joe and I get in a plane to go overseas, at some point I'll lean over to her and say, listen to these loud Americans. <laughs> the point is, cultures have their tendencies. What about our own culture? In what ways can we, as a church, be guilty of behaving merely in a human way because of the influence of our culture? Let me name a huge one, racism. Racism is a problem in every country. But South Africa is infamous for it. Even gave it a name, apartheid. And so... We need to be on guard and realize that as Christians living in this culture, we can't just assume that now we're saved, we're not going to battle with that. No, we live in a culture where where it exists, and it's a heavy influence. And it's going to tempt us. And if you think it's not in our church, come see me. Sure it is. It's still something that people wrestle with. We need to be really careful about that. I think of a lot of the African culture, a lot of my pastor friends, African pastor friends, talk about the issue of ancestor worship. That they are constantly fighting against in good, orthodox, solid churches. But even though people are generally saved, they come in and they keep thinking in a merely human way, like their culture. We need to be in guard. There is a church that, is in, that was in Corinth, but there's always the danger of the culture of Corinth coming into the church. And that's why you had this strife and this division. Because in their culture, they were esteeming public speakers in this way. And Paul says, stop that. It has nothing to do with rhetoric. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with the message of the cross, which is the power of God. Does that make sense? Culture has a can have a deforming effect on a church. And that's why we need to kind of just check it at the threshold of the church and say no. But the guy came by the office last week in need and I was talking to him. And he was a colored gentleman, and he said, I've tried to go to some white churches, and they said that they're not racist, but I wasn't welcome. That's somebody who's thinking in a completely human way. Culture affects us. The only solution for that is by having our minds transformed Renewed by the word of God. Paul says, when you say, I follow Paul. And somebody else says, I follow Paulus. You're not displaying any kind of spiritual maturity. You're simply displaying your thinking merely in a human way. 
I wish I had the words to describe this. But as Christians, we have no excuse for simply thinking like merely humans. We have the Spirit of God who guides us in the Word of God. And because of that, as our minds are transformed, we have a life that is radically different. It looks very different from the world. Ask yourself the question, in what areas are you being merely human? You know, I was thinking about another cultural sin, I think, in South Africa is grumbling and complaining. Hmm. Right? Now, I was convicted about that this week. That when I'm grumbling and complaining like my unbelieving neighbors, I'm simply being merely human. Instead of giving thanks to God. Instead of being grateful to God for what he is doing. Instead of trusting sovereign God. What area of your life, Christian, are you being merely human? Let me ask this most important question as I draw this to a close. Are you merely human? Is your life completely dominated by the flesh. I don't, I don't mean, do you go to church? You can go to church and be completely dominated by the flesh. You can wear your Sunday best and come to church and it may be masking what's going on in the heart, but God sees. There's no appetite for the gospel. There's no appetite for Christ. There's no love for the brethren. There's nothing but a cynical, critical spirit. Maybe that's because you're merely human. But there's good news. You don't have to leave here today merely human. You can repent of your sin. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is more than merely human. He's 100% God, he's 100% man. And he came to this earth and he lived a perfectly sinless life for those who were merely human. And he died on the cross and he experienced the wrath of God, God's condemnation against those who were merely human. And all those for whom Christ died, he lives today, interceding in the right hand of the Father, to save and to say, you know what? You're no longer merely human. You have my spirit. So don't take these words in some kind of a harsh rebuke. Take them as a word of gracious warning. And helpful, hopeful invitation. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You too shall be saved. And no longer merely human. Let's pray.
Our Father and our God, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for who he is. We thank you for what he did for us by being crucified in our place. That we no longer just be merely human. We repent before you and we ask you, God, as your children, help us this week to live in more than a merely human way. Help us to live filled with your spirit, manifesting the character of Christ and his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness his goodness, his faithfulness, his meekness, and his self-control. We ask you, God, to please save the lost. Please, Holy Spirit, grant new life like you did this lady at the well. Lord, as you put your finger on our sins and sinners, that you would do a gracious work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.